You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. broadcast of tapping to the truth hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats of course with you as always i am indeed your ever so humble and you know mostly peaceful host tim tap coming to you from lovely beautiful historic roan county tennessee yet the whole freaking county i got ties to every little bit of it and proud to be uh connected in such a fashion all right, so here we are. We're cruising into 2022. Uh, the political landscape is already uh, getting just littered with would-be Democrat representatives who would not attempt to return because they're afraid of the outcome of upcoming elections. At least, at least I feel comfortable saying that about a majority of the races. Now, some of these folks actually are old enough that they should have retired some time ago. Uh, but then why quit an easy job when you really don't have to, right? Some, however, 
kind of wonder what possible reason would you have for retiring at this point in the game? Oh, yeah. Could it be because you don't want to lose an election? Eh, we'll see. All right. So there's some major stories I want to touch on that I don't feel like have gotten enough coverage to this point. Hopefully over the course of the next few days, they will. But we will get there. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, had his little speech in uh, Georgia uh, today. Uh, He managed to once again refer to Kamala as President Harris during that. Uh, Noteworthy only because, once again, he does it all on his own. I'm, I'm presuming, since he was reading off the teleprompter at the time, that he just misread it. I would hate to think that somebody's actually over there remotely messing with him by uh, editing the teleprompter message and him just reading it. Uh, But uh, since this isn't the first time that he's referred to Kamala as President Harris, I guess we'll see. Also, Mitch McConnell, uh, a.k.a. Cocaine Mitch, a.k.a. the Turtle Man, uh, he gave a very stern warning to Democrats Uh, saying that they would regret abolishing the filibuster, warned of a nuclear winter where nothing would get done legislatively, of course. Uh, Also in the headlines, uh, you might have missed, a man received a heart transplant from a genetically altered pig. This has never been done before. Okay, um, it just kind of sounds creepy, Frankensteinish kind of. I mean, I, and I'm a guy that's for the advancement of science and for the advancement of medical technology. I, I think I've made that relatively clear over the years for those who've listened on a regular basis. But this is just a little creepy to me. First of all, why are we genetically modifying pigs to make them more compatible with humans in the first place? That sounds like some Dr. Moreau mad scientist stuff. Uh, It's just a little creepy to me. That's all. Of course, Dr. Fauci uh, got in front of uh, his favorite a member of the Senate and Rand Paul again, and fireworks flew. That was a, a biggie event that took place. There's a new film coming out called Capital Punishment, and this film is actually going to counter uh, the mainstream medias and all the Democrats' uh, January 6th insurrection narrative. So uh, definitely looking forward to taking a peek at that when it comes along. Uh, The Red Cross has announced the first ever national blood crisis. Gee, imagine that. A federal agency is making lists on personal religious information of vaccine-objecting employees. Uh, That couldn't possibly go wrong, could it? I am a little concerned. In fact, I'm a lot concerned. Why is a federal agency doing this? I mean, seriously, what is the point? A small federal administrative agency is going to start collecting the personal religious information of its own employees who object to taking the coronavirus vaccines for religious reasons. Now, I myself at the start, I kind of knew that there are certain religious groups that are just anti-vaccine to begin with and a lot of those are kind of outliers but I heard a lot of people that I know didn't fall into one of those categories claiming religious exemption so right off the bat I wasn't 100% sure until I found out 
uh, through a little extra research that by the very nature of this uh, type of therapeutic, that there is the involvement with fetal tissue, in particular aborted fetal tissue, in the processes of its development. Now, that to me seems like a pretty daggum good reason to have a religious exemption. In fact, a pretty good reason to have a a personal dislike of the the whole ball of wax from the beginning. I don't necessarily think you have to have the religious side of it to be concerned given that. But uh, this whole idea, this notion that, oh, we're going to hang on to this information, we're going to start keeping track of this situation, uh, who you are, and what your personal religious beliefs are. Uh, why? I mean, we're supposed to have religious liberty, right? We're supposed to have a separation of church and state, right? That's, that's what the left keeps telling us. Now, I don't buy into this imaginary separation. I don't see anywhere where the Constitution expressly says, oh, no, 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 there must be a separation which would be kind of odd anyway because most of the politicians, they just belong to a different religion than most other uh, religious people of faith. They belong to the uh, religion of big government. It's, it's totally a, a real thing. I'm not just making up. Uh, when you believe in the power of big government, then you believe that only through the mass use of the the power of taxation and the wasting of trillions upon trillions of dollars to get a, a few dollars worth of value from it. Only through that can you achieve satisfaction, can achieve greatness, can achieve yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. These folks are loony bags. And now they want to keep an eye on you because, oh, you work for this one agency and you say, oh, by the way, on religious grounds, give me my exemption. I don't want to take the jab. Yeah, again, I'm going to use the phrase, what could go wrong? Well, I'll tell you what could go wrong. We could have a rogue federal government where the individual agencies are running wild out of control, forgetting what their primary role is and becoming uh, arbiters of what must happen, could go out and suddenly be the individuals that, instead of protecting citizens from lawbreakers, become the lawbreakers themselves and encourage others. And then once the encouragement has taken place, then grab people who ordinarily would never have done the things they end up doing because of the encouragement that was done by that agency, then they go ahead and pick them up and charge them with a crime. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying something like that could happen. It's possible. If nobody's watching the watchers, it's certainly possible. Now, why would I go down this particular rant on this particular day? Because this is one of the bigger stories that I wanted to talk about that I don't believe is getting quite enough coverage, at least not yet. Fingers crossed that that changes quickly. See, the headline here is that the Biden DOJ, well, they're going to establish a specialized domestic terrorism unit. Oh, we knew this was coming, didn't we? Okay, so the Biden administration's Department of Justice has announced that it would be establishing a specialized unit dedicated to domestic terrorism. Testifying on Tuesday... 
at the Senate Judiciary Committee's hearing, uh, you know, the hearing on the January 6th Capitol riot, Assistant Attorney General for National Security Matthew Olson revealed the change during his opening statement before the committee. Now, for the benefit of those of you that are listening to the show via rebroadcast on terrestrial radio, I'm going to tell you right now the time of the live broadcast is January 11th, 2022. It is a Tuesday. So that means that this occurred time of the live broadcast today. Now, quoting from this opening statement, the threat posed by domestic terrorism is on the rise. The number of FBI investigations over the past two years since March 2020 has more than doubled. Olson went on to cite examples You know, the 2019 mass shootings at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas. The 2018 mass shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The 2017 shooting at the Congressional Baseball Game practice. And hey, I'm going to stop there for a second. Props on actually mentioning that. Most folks that are working for the left side of the political aisle don't like talking about that one. They like to pretend it didn't happen. But as is always the case, they're perfectly willing to discuss anything as long as they feel like it helps their case. Oh, yeah, these guys were Looney Tunes. They went after Republicans. That's how crazy they got. Although, you know, it's important to remember this guy was a Bernie Sanders supporter. But they would like you to believe that, of course, all violence of this nature is a right-wing thing. Uh, Spoiler, not so much. Anyway... Let me get back into the quote. So we just talked about the congressional baseball practice. Then he went on to mention, back to the uh, statement, the uh, 2015 shooting at a church in Charleston, South Carolina. Olson also made note of the anniversary of the Capitol riot and uh, pointed out that the Department of Justice has arrested more than 725 people for their involvement in the Capitol breach, including more than 300 on felony charges. Strangely enough, none of these charges uh, are uh, insurrection or armed rebellion. None of them. None, None of them have been charged with insurrection. Despite the fact, although we talked about it in the last broadcast, of exactly why the left has been so insistent on continuing to use the word insurrection, even though it clearly doesn't fit, they want to use part of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution to keep Donald Trump from being eligible to hold office again. Don't think it's going to work, but hey, in the current court system, who knows what will happen? Anyway, back to the report. Quoting once again from Mr. Olson, the attacks, sorry, the attacks in recent years underscore the threat that domestic terrorism continues to pose to our citizens, to law enforcement officers, to public officials, and to our democratic institutions. Based on the assessment of the intelligence community, we face an elevated threat from domestic violent extremists. 
Olson then went on to outline what what that threat means in practice. You see, he testified that domestic terrorists are motivated by a mix of ideological and personal grievances, but that the DOJ has recently seen a growing threat from those who are motivated by racial animus, as well as those who ascribe to extremist anti-government and anti-authority ideologies. Olson did acknowledge that the DOJ is still monitoring threats from foreign terrorist groups like al-Qaeda and ISIS as well, so whoop-de-doo, yee glad to see you're doing your job while you're also engaging in political activism. Because you see, the, the thing here is this is very vagued up. They are literally twisted the words terrorism to the point that you have Ted Cruz talking about uh, domestic terrorism in reference to common average everyday Americans who have spoken up. Cruz found himself in hot water with conservatives over this, and then he found himself in hot waters with leftists immediately after when he decided to try to apologize for his earlier statements. Come on, Ted. You're better than that, although he's been dropping the ball uh, quite a bit here recently. So, yeah, okay, I want some brownie points. Yes, we're watching out for those who are motivated by racial animus. Okay, so does that mean you're watching the more uh, radical components of Black Lives Matter? Does that mean that you're going and paying very close attention to Antifa folks that have a strong anti-white racial animus, even though several of them are? I'm a self-hating white guy. I'm living in my grandma's basement because my mom and dad, well, they kicked me out because I'm a loser. Okay, that's just the average Antifa voice in my head. Uh, sorry. Anti-government could be something as simple as me saying, uh, let's go, Brandon. And now suddenly I'm on the new DOJ list. I mean, it's not like I've been taken off the older list where the Obama NSA was keeping a close eye on me, uh, along with several other conservative voices out there. Yeah, I, I know this is going on. No big whoop. But now I can just say, let's go, Brandon. And I'm sure as vague as they're making this out to be, that could be considered a serious anti-government sentiment. You know what those words mean. That's so dangerous. How dare you, Tim? <laughs> hey, but no problems. We're still keeping an eye on uh, Al-Qaeda. <sighs> okay, back to quoting. Today, investigating and prosecuting domestic violent extremists is one of our top priorities. Every parent that's gone to a school board meeting in Virginia is being <laughs> closely... Sorry, I didn't quite get to the the the, the button there uh, uh, in time, so please forgive the little cough. But uh, as I was saying, every parent that went to a school board meeting in Virginia uh, during the gubernatorial race, I'm sure is on that list as being violent extremists. Olson continued adding that the partnership between federal prosecutors and the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force uh, 
is currently the front line of defense. Yes, indeed, it's the front line of defense against domestic terrorism. Olson also outlined the role of the National Security Division in coordinating counterterrorism prosecutions, which includes a team of prosecutors trained to handle terrorism cases, both foreign and domestic. Quoting Olson once more, In addition, I have decided to establish a domestic terrorism unit to augment our existing approach. To augment the existing approach? Your approach right now is much like under the Barack Hussein Alu Akbar Obama administration where the IRS was weaponized against Tea Party groups to utilize the Department of Justice to basically start targeting concerned parents who do not want racial essentialism being taught to their young children, who do not want eight- and nine-year-old little girls coming home and asking mommy, am I bad? Am I evil? Well, well, why, Susie? Why, why would you ask that? Did you do something you feel bad about? Well, teacher says I'm white, and white people are oppressives. Oppressives? Yeah, yeah, we oppress people. Oh, op- oppressors. Yeah, that's what I said. Okay, little Susie. Or just as much, just as much, there are parents that don't want their children. Here comes young man coming home talking to their parents. Mom, is there just no way that I can be successful in this life without help from the government? Well, Gee, uh, why do you ask? Well, because teacher says that all the white people are oppressing uh, everyone of color. That we just don't have a chance because of that systemic racism. Now, it's one thing to teach about racism that has clearly existed in America in the past. I get it. We should talk about it. It's also one of the reasons, part of the case I've made for a very long time, why we should leave Civil War monuments right the freak where they were instead of trying to take them all down, bash them all up, hide them away. They should be left front and center so that we can have the conversation, the conversation about how bad it was along with the conversation of how far we've come, how much better it is today than it was then. Now, was it perfect today? No. Is it a lot better than it was then? Ah, uh, hell yeah. There's no doubt about that. There's no question. But, you see, if we leave them there and have that conversation, if we talk about our shared history, if we talk about our shared travel together through time to continue to work on trying to fulfill all of the promises made upon the founding of this great nation, then We don't get to sit back and talk about being a victim. We have to talk about taking responsibility, stepping up, doing the right thing. Because once you have taken responsibility for yourself, once you have started doing everything you can to be the person who's doing the right thing, putting in the effort, that's when you've got grounds to complain when something goes wrong intentionally. Somebody then interferes with your success... Then you've got the right to cry foul. But if you haven't even got up out and tried to do anything yet, you don't have the right to cry about anything. 
You just need to shut up. Get out and do something. Then you can complain. Go out and do something legal, legitimate, and moral. And then if somebody tries to squash you, then you can cry foul. Not until. It's not right. It doesn't make sense. You shouldn't do it. So their focus on domestic terrorism, they think that that's going to be a good thing. He went on to say after that, quote, this group is dedicated, I'm sorry, this group of dedicated attorneys will focus on the domestic terrorism threat, helping to ensure that these cases are handled properly and effectively coordinated across the Department of Justice and across the country. Well, congratulations. Now you can target parents that showed up at a school board meeting in Oakland, California, just the same as you're going to go after the parents that showed up at a school board meeting in Loudoun County, Virginia. Now you can go after parents that showed up at a school board meeting in Chicago, Illinois, not to protest the school, but to protest the teachers union that kept those schools on lockdown until, uh, congratulations, uh, kids in Chicago, uh, schools back in session, teachers union, and the school system have come to an agreement. That was another little quick hit that I didn't sneak in. When they're talking about domestic terrorism, they're not talking about looking for Timothy McVeigh. They're talking about looking for Timothy Tapp. That's me, by the way. They're not talking about looking for the uh, overpass sniper, the D.C. sniper. They're talking about looking for Don Smith and Ann Ubellis. They're talking about somebody like Ron Edwards. They're, they're talking about going after the people that, oh, we don't agree with you. And you say things that we deem to be anti-government because you seem to think that government should be – I can't even say it. Let me say it for you. The federal government in particular should be limited. The more powerful governments should be the ones closest to you. Because presumably, in a smaller community, uh, you're more like-minded individuals. So you should be allowed to do more things because you're going to be in a greater agreement. The further out you go, say state level, well, then there's a lot more people that don't agree with how that grouping should do. So you should have less power. And the federal government, even less. You want to know if the federal government should be able to do something? There's this document. Been around for a while. Easy to read. Easy to understand, too. It's not confusing. Not really. If you've got trouble with it, then you need a tutor to help you better learn to read, period, because it's not hard. It's called the United States Constitution. See, the great, neat, nifty thing about the Constitution, and right now I'm not talking about any of the uh, amendments to this point, just the Constitution itself, the base document, is it's... It's precisely a list of what the government can do. And then they turn around and tell you that if it's not in it, then the government can't do it. Not that it shouldn't do it. Not that it might not do it. But that it can't. 
It doesn't have the authority. And we, ladies and gentlemen, we as sovereigns of this nation, as the individuals who are supposed to hold our elected officials accountable when they go off the rails, we've allowed them to go to the point that there are a ton of folks that have no understanding of where the limits actually are. The lines have been blurred. So now we're going to have this new task force, this new team focused on going after domestic terrorists. Olson also said during this little uh, this little testimony in front of uh, Congress, he says the National Security Division works closely with the Civil Rights Division in order to prosecute hate crimes and uses, quote, all of the legal tools in its arsenal to prosecute domestic terrorism. So by their standard here, they're saying that by me calling out some factions operating under Black Lives Matter Incorporated, by me referring to them as being domestic terrorists, that I, in fact, am committing a hate crime, therefore I am the domestic terrorist. Even though they can sit back and talk whatever crap about me they want, and, oh, well, they're just expressing their opinion. They have protected speech. Well, what about my protected speech? No, you're committing a hate crime. That's not the same thing. I don't feel good about the creation of a new task force because of the timing, first of all. I wouldn't feel comfortable about, comfortable about it in the first place because what does the Department of Justice need another task force for? The Department of Justice is already supposed to be watching out for criminals that are operating within the country. Acts of terrorism... Well, they do fall under the heading of criminal activity. I would also say that if you're actually engaging in actual terrorism, one could make the argument that it's a military action. I mean, if you're really talking terrorism. But there's a difference between terrorism and extreme activism. There, there are some... Blurry lines occasionally, but there is still a difference between the two. That's that's why we don't say it exactly the same way. But the creation of this new task force, it comes as there are new questions arising about the circumstances of the uh, this so-called letter from the National School Boards Association. The one, of course, that was comparing parents' disruptions at school board meetings with domestic terrorism. And the reason I say so-called letter is because now it's come to light that uh, the secretary had kind of demanded that the National Association of School Boards send them a letter saying exactly that. They wanted the excuse. He didn't want to just write a memo himself. He wanted a fall guy to blame when folks came out and said it. So You've got this ed uh, situation. The education secretary, Miguel Cardona, it's being reported that he may have solicited the letter. Well, I don't think there's a may have situation. He asked them for it. That is solicitation. That is 
him saying, guys, write me this letter. Here's what you need to say. Pressed by the Judiciary Committee's ranking member, Chuck Grassley, on the subject, Olson assured him that the National Security Division was playing only an advisory role in enforcing the memo and that the memo was a low priority to the division. So now we're not really looking at parents. Well, what are you looking at then? I mean, that's what we all need to know at this point, right? You say one thing, you keep doing another. How are we supposed to trust? On the other side of the break here, I'm going to continue with another story of major import, and it ties in with the first one because another reason I don't want the Department of Justice looking into domestic terrorism is because it seems they may, in fact, be fanning the flames, helping to create some domestic terrorism. But we got to take that mid-hour break, so you guys don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. I'm Ron Edwards, host of The Edwards Notebook, and you're listening to Tim Tapp and Tap Into the Truth. When I was a little boy growing up in Cleveland, my dad taught me to respect the police and that the local police were a symbol of stability. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. In recent weeks, we the people have witnessed the police standing idly by while legions of thugs broke into businesses ranging from high-end department stores in Chicago's Magnificent Mile, New York City's Fifth Avenue, to Rodeo Drive in Los Angeles and many other locales. On the other hand, police in New York City are operating like United Nations million bullies, dragging non-criminals out of restaurants and arresting them for not taking a jab. Such draconian measures not only stomped upon the unalienable rights of sovereign individuals, but continue to harm small businesses as the government continues to utilize the Corona China virus to disintegrate the middle class with help from the thin blue line, who for the most part is now only a threat to non-threatening law-abiding sovereign citizens. May we the people rise up quickly and stop this madness before it's much too late. I'm Ron Edwards. For constitutional grounds, the coffee you want in your cup, simply go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Hello, this is Dan Perkins for your Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Tip of the Day. What veterans who are homeless or at risk of homelessness should do for help? Veterans who are homeless or at imminent risk of homelessness are strongly encouraged to contact the National Call-In Center for Homeless Veterans at 877 877- 
for aid vet. That's 877-424-3838 for assistance. If a veteran does not have access to a phone or the internet, only then are they to visit the closest VA medical center without calling in advance. All veterans should contact their VA medical center before visiting for any reason. These steps are necessary to prevent the spread of COVID-19. So here's your veterans tip of the day. Contact the VA at 877-424-3838 for more information. The VA wants to help. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. Come on, man. All men and women created by gold. You know the you know the thing. Your lime dog face pony shoulder. I got hairy legs. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. I am, of course, your ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tapp, and I am glad to have you here with me today. Thank you so much for joining me as we tap into the truth together. Uh, Quick reminder, uh, for those of you that are listening to Terrestrial Radio right now, hearing the show being rebroadcast, time of the live broadcast is indeed January the 11th. It is 20. 22. And for those of you that are listening to Terrestrial Radio, each and every week there is a least, at least one hour of content that you miss. So in the second hour today, this being the first hour, we're going to be talking about something that the USA Today printed in an effort to try to help normalize pedophilia. And we're also going to be talking about how in Washington, D.C., moving forward uh, very soon, despite how racist it is to require a photo ID to vote, you're going to have to have a photo ID to go into any business. We'll be talking about that in the second hour. Uh, so you guys that are listening here to the first hour, stay where you're at. If you're listening to the podcast, don't go anywhere. We will reset the hour at the end of this one. And in the meanwhile, we've got another topic to get to. A continuation from an earlier story when we're talking about the Department of Justice looking to establish a new specialized team focused on domestic terrorism when it seems like they're creating some on their own. We'll get to that right after I remind you that in the grand scheme of things, if you truly want to enjoy the blessings of liberty, individual liberty in particular, then what's required from you is individual responsibility. 
Yeah, I'm going to take him a second to let that sink in. Individual responsibility. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of folks not being taught that these days. Uh, most of you folks that are listening, I know, are already aware of it, and you need to know that. But a big part of self-responsibility means self-reliance. And nobody, I mean nobody, has been helping you to be self-reliant longer than my Patriot Supply. So what I'm asking you to do, if you're here at the podcast... If you're listening there, go down to the show description. You'll see a link established there for My Patriot Supply that if you use it, it lets them know that I'm the one that sent you. So if you make a purchase using that, I'll get a, a small little uh, a small little fee for, you know, having sent you to them. So what I'm going to ask you to do is use the link down there. Just copy that link in its entirety, paste it into your web browser, and then go visit it, especially if you're planning on making a purchase. But even if you're not, even if you just want to go look around, please use that link so that, again, they'll know that I'm generating traffic in their direction so that this show still provides some level of value to them. And at some point down the road, maybe it'll lead to an actual sponsorship and set up an affiliate association, which would great uh, on this end. So, you know, if you just want to help support the show, it's a simple ask. And if you happen to be listening on terrestrial radio, like I've already mentioned, uh, maybe you don't have that show description in front of you right now. There's a really good chance of that. In fact, if that is the case, then by all means, please, a little bit later when you get the opportunity, uh, come visit me at tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P into the truth all one word, dot com. And, uh, you know, you'll see several banners for My Patriot Supply, Hero Soap, uh, Blue Coolers, uh, all these fine folks. Uh, and you can click any one of them, and by clicking on those banners, it works exactly the same way as it does for the podcast listeners with the link in the show description. Now, the reason I asked you to copy and paste is because a lot of these links get deactivated or sometimes malfunction uh, when uh, they're just left active and they're transferring from the home platform Spreaker uh, over to iHeartRadio or Spotify or uh, Podchasers or wherever you might be listening to. So I just leave it completely deactivated. So just do the copy and paste. It works fantastic. Now, as I was saying... We have a situation where they want to investigate us, more specifically conservatives who care about the fact that the left agenda is forcing racial essentialism into classes, basically what we're commonly calling critical race theory. When they turn around and they deny critical race theories being taught. And the reason they can get away with that and still technically be correct is because technically all they're doing is they're taking the worst parts of critical race theory and they're forcing it on them. But they're not teaching in its entirety the actual specialized, specific critical race theory itself. But the problem is it's still the worst part. It's the racial essentialism. It's the idea, the notion that somehow the color of your skin matters way more than the content of your character. The idea, the notion that just because you're white, it means you can't be a good person. Because white people have always been oppressors. White people are always taking whatever good things in their lives by virtue of taking something good away from 
people of color, even the ones that never met a person of color. Yeah, believe it or not, there are still some folks in certain places around the world where that's that's the case. It's not my argument by any means, but just saying. So they say things like this, and they do things like this, and there's still the people that probably need to have a special department opened up to watch them. Why would you say that, Tim? Well, you know, if you've been paying attention for the last little bit, I don't have to tell you. But just in case you're someone that just stumbled across the show, maybe you haven't listened to a conservative radio show before, maybe you don't pay attention to what's going on in the U.S. government, and, and if that's the case, fine. Glad you're here. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you'll continue to do so. Hopefully you'll come back. Hopefully I will educate, entertain, and enlighten you, understanding that I'm just a commentator. So for you, the reason I would say that would be because Jill Sanborn, FBI Executive Assistant Director, National Security Branch, Jill, well, she refused to answer questions while she was testifying at the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing whether FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January 6, 2021, and whether they committed any crimes of violence or actively encouraged crimes of violence. You know, the thing that uh, several conservative voices have been saying that uh, that feels like this was instigated by feds? Well, turns out that Ted Cruz, who I mentioned earlier, Ted Cruz decided to grill Sanborn on the matter and repeatedly stated, Miss Sanborn did, that she could not answer the question because she could not, quote, go into the specifics of sources and methods. In other words, uh, you've, you've heard the term entrapment before. Police officers aren't allowed to entrap you. Evidently, federal agents are. Although, quite honestly, I think uh, local law enforcement's been allowed to do entrapment uh, <laughs> for a while now, too. Technically, you're not supposed to. But, you know, we do what we do. If you're a criminal, it shouldn't matter. If you're not a criminal, then it shouldn't be a problem. Right? Uh, no, no, that is not right. Okay, so the two had the, this exchange, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some quotes from both sides for a little bit. I know it's a terrible radio, but then I'll get to the commentary because some of this is worthwhile. Cruz says, "I want to turn to the FBI. How many FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January 6th?" Sanborn responded. Sir, I, I'm not sure you can appreciate that I can't go into that. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I can't go into the specifics of sources and methods. Now, at that point, I would have said, I'm not asking for specifics about sources or methods. I want to know if you actively participated. But no, no, uh, Ted, uh, being a senator, took the more diplomatic route. Did any FBI agents or confidential informants actively participate in the events of January 6th? Yes or no? Okay, so we didn't get that much more diplomatic. Sanborn, again, sir, I can't. I can't answer that. 
Cruz then asks, did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit crimes of violence on January 6th? Sanborn again, I can't answer that, sir. Cruz, once again, did any FBI agents or FBI informants actively encourage and incite crimes of violence on January 6th? Sir, I can't answer that. Cruz later made the statement, quoting him now, a lot of Americans are concerned that the federal government deliberately encouraged illegal and violent conduct on January 6th. My question to you is this, is not an ordinary law enforcement question. My question to you, and this is not an ordinary law enforcement question, this is a question of a public accountability. Did federal agents, are those in service of federal agent actively encouraged violent and criminal conduct on January 6th? Sanborn then responded to that, not to my knowledge. Okay, so seems to me as if there's a lot of room for interpretation there. It seems to me as if there's a lot of room for me to slide over here and say, ooh, did Ted Cruz just end up in the conspiracy corner? Is that what happened here? Here we are in the conspiracy corner with today's guest, Ted Cruz. Except these are legitimate questions. You know why they're legitimate questions? Because there are still too many unanswered, unusual situations that occurred in this event. Now, I hate to sound like I'm trying out a brand new tinfoil hat on this uh, little situation. I mean, I, not really, I, but wouldn't want to be discredited. But Ted's asking a question that every senator... Every congressman should be asking of the Department of Justice and the FBI specifically. We know they were heavily involved with this uh, supposed kidnapping attempt of Gretchen Whitmer. We know that there was a lot of communications that took place there involving uh, prepping for the January 6th event. So we know that they were at least aware that FBI agents and or deep cover informants were aware that uh, some folks wanted to pursue more drastic forms of protest? Is that diplomatic enough? But what we don't know is exactly who it was that's really behind it. We know what the media wants you to believe. They want you to believe uh, in one breath that it was all the orange man who's bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, uh, Donald John Trump. They want you to believe the Donald is solely responsible. And then they immediately, still same breath, just uh, after a comma, want you to believe that it's horrific racist Americans, the 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 absolute worst, the dregs of society, that basket of deplorables that Hillary warned us all about, that is all their fault. Because they're the ones that did it, you see. Now, simple questions like the timeline. 
Nobody that was actually at the Trump rally that day had time to get over to the Capitol until well after all the bad stuff had already occurred. All that was still happening then is some folks were giving themselves unapproved tours. Now, Tim, you can't say that. That's ridiculous. You're trying to downplay. No, I'm trying to tell you the honest truth of what was going on. The violence took place early. People did commit acts of violence, but the question still remains. Uh, Tons of people that I generally consider to be reliable sources continue to tell me that many of the first people that resorted to violence and started assaulting police officers, they're not conservatives at all. Members of Antifa that infiltrated groups, members of Antifa that were just hanging out, trying to... And we know this is a ploy and a tactic that Antifa has used, so it seems plausible, right? Does that mean that that's what happened? Not necessarily, but if you can't say a thing didn't happen, then you have to keep the possibility still as exactly that, a possibility, right? If you're going to be reasonable, reasonable people have to be open to the possibilities, as long as they're legitimate possibilities. I don't know that that's not what happened. I do know that it seems far more likely than the typical conservative protest, because usually when conservatives are protesting something, they show up at a park, they end up cleaning up the park while they're there. It's in better shape than it was, uh, better shape when they leave than it was when they got there. There's a long track record of this. That's what typically happens at a conservative protest. Not everybody that supports Donald Trump's conservative. Donald Trump himself is not an extremely conservative individual. We've talked about this a lot. He grew up mostly contributing to Democratic candidates and Democratic causes. A lot of it was just uh, his way of paying to play the game. I mean, you got to grease some wheels if you're going to make a fortune building anything in New York, right? It's a requirement. Doesn't happen without it. But you see, that doesn't matter. All that matters is these people, they want to blame everybody, uh, including uh, Donald Trump, so they can say he's an insurrectionist, so he can't hold office again. And then they want to blame all of us. Anybody who's willing to say, I love America. I believe in America. I love the Constitution. I want everybody to be judged by the content of their character. I want them to be judged by their actions, the things they say and do. More importantly, what they do than what they say. That's what I want. Oh, well, now I'm a domestic terrorist because that's what I want. Martin Luther King Jr., would he recognize the so-called civil rights movement today? I think not. Is it actually a civil rights movement? I think not. A lot of this claims to be fighting racism is really nothing but racism and tends to hurt people of color more than it hurts the white people, even though the white people are being targeted. I mean, when you take a long, hard look at what's happening and who's pushing it and why they're pushing it, you apply some critical thinking and none of it makes much sense. This lady a top official at the FBI, uses the excuse of we can't talk about specifics for methods as a rationale for simply not answering the question as to whether or not they had people embedded that tried to make this happen. 
Nancy Pelosi's keeping an iron grip on her committee so that nobody asks her specifically why she turned down additional security offers of help from the National Guard. Nobody's asking why she didn't see to it that the Capitol Police weren't, in fact, better prepared. If you know something's coming, you try to be ready for it, right? If you know trouble's coming, you try to put barriers between you and the trouble. You take steps to try to to mitigate the risk, to try and keep it from getting out of control. And I'm sorry, I'm just not going to be lectured by someone about how horrific and what a threat to our democracy something was when many of these same people were encouraging the Summer of Love riots having to do with the death of George Floyd. All across the country, there were riots where millions upon millions of dollars of damage, mostly private property damage, Many times people that were actually minorities and their minority-owned businesses or their minority-owned homes destroyed, all in the name of fighting for minority voice, fighting against systemic racism, while they don't even know what the word systemic means in that uh, context. I want to tell you it means something different than what it actually would mean. You want to sit there and tell me the current vice president or president, if you're listening to to Joe Biden, uh, literally during the campaign was helping to bail out these violent protesters that were engaging in insurrectionist level behavior. Armed rebellion. No, no, none of that happened. That's not real. Tim, what are you even talking about? Uh, well, like I said, I, I will start listening to the lectures from people that are, well, at least consistent across the board, consistent with both sides. And right now, that ain't nobody in D.C. All right, we're going to reset the hour. So for those of you that are listening to the podcast, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this little bit of a break. Uh, for those of you that are listening on terrestrial radio, remember hour number two should be tomorrow. But if you don't hear it tomorrow, look up the podcast somewhere, listen in. Uh, the discussion continues. In the meanwhile, uh, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, Use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Meanwhile, stay safe out there as best you can. Stay healthy, if at all possible, and uh, be smart, even if it goes against your nature. From a blue state clan Taught to praise the little man Told that unions saved the working class He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees They said their vows he couldn't say when, he couldn't say how, he couldn't say why 
she was different in his eyes They built careers and had a kid Tried to live like their parents did But both their parties taxed them close to death They learned to hate the public schools Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She, she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why He was different in her eyes Saw the musical A happy little cabin in the west They homeschooled on their farm Making so much more from so much less You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Damn you when 
Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tap Into The Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am indeed your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from historic, beautiful, lovely, scenic... Roan County, Tennessee. Uh, and for those of you who may not be too familiar with the area, we are not too far from Knoxville, so that ought to help you out a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right, this is, in fact, the second hour of a two-hour live broadcast that took place on the 11th of January, 2022. And uh, the reason for me saying that is because, well, first of all, if you're listening to the podcast, you've already heard me say that once. And you probably saw the date when you decided to hit the button to play it. But uh, maybe you didn't pay attention. So maybe you're wondering why some of this information is a little dated. There's a really good chance that if you're listening to terrestrial radio uh, on any of the great stations across the country that tends to rebroadcast this show, that you are hearing this one, two, maybe even three days uh, after the broadcast. So you might really be scratching your head and saying, why are you talking about something that happened six days ago, Tim? Well, you know, I I was talking about it much sooner than that, I promise. Uh, but uh, regardless of when it actually happened, that's, that's why I mention it, so that you guys will know. Now, if you're not happy with uh, how quickly you're getting to hear the show, or if you're not happy, uh, should you uh, realize that you're missing a minimum, a bare minimum of one hour a week of the programming here, you are cordially invited to track down my show, whether you come to the website and listen there, or uh, whether you go to wherever you listen to podcasts, places like Spotify, which has been doing really good with the listenership lately. You guys keep it up. Places like iHeartRadio. Places like Podchaser and Pod Addict. Places wherever, wherever you get your podcast at, look us up. Tap, T-A-P-P, because, you know, that's my last name. Tap into the truth. You can find me. You, I highly recommend those. You can find me on social media, and you will find links to these uh, broadcasts as well. Uh, You can look me up on Facebook. You can look me up on Twitter, although I spend almost no time on Twitter. You can look me up on Gab. You can look me up on Spreely. You can look me up on MeWe. You can find me at Getter. You can find me uh, a bunch of places. I probably ought to just sit down and make a list sometimes. Sometimes sometimes I forget to post on all of them because I'll forget about one of them. Uh, I'm over on Minds.com. Lots of places, lots of places. At any rate, come track me down, listen to that bonus hour that you're missing. And some weeks, some weeks there's more than one hour. Some weeks there's an entire show that doesn't get aired. And if you're relatively new to the show, then there is a ton of past broadcasts that you can listen to. Uh, Some of them featuring a lot of great guests from the past. Uh, Still haven't got a normalized schedule well enough yet to be able to say that, yes, I am always home and not running an errand at this time so I can start scheduling guests again. But I am going to try to reach out to some folks uh, because I hate last year we didn't get to do the traditional roundtable discussion and probably still not going to get to do a full true roundtable discussion where we take a look back. It had been a tradition for the show for years uh, where we look at uh, 
the past year, and then we kind of look ahead to the upcoming year. And I normally try to do that uh, within the first couple of weeks of January. It's been so busy. It's been crazy. But I'm going to try to work out and, and make some special arrangements for some funky times and, and see if I can't get some of these folks. Some of it will end up being one-on-one conversations. Some of it we may be able to work out a little bit of a roundtable discussion. But I definitely, definitely want to get back to having guests on board. Now, I did have somebody, by the way, uh, mention to me, Tim, why are you still using the same theme song? Why why are you playing the whole uh, intro song? I love the song so much, and there's so much to it. I don't like cutting it off. Matt Fitzgibbons, tremendous musician, fantastic historian, good friend of the show. And the song is so good, and it is so much between that and using both hands and different in your eyes, those songs, they're so phenomenal. I, I have such a hard time even just shutting them down. I want them available. They're just that good. So I'm not going to do it. So now instead of completely changing uh, the music format to freshen things up, which, you know, it's been long enough that I probably should be looking to do it. We've been doing these little snippets, uh, the little, uh, intro uh, clips that uh, you've been hearing more frequently. And once again, I want to thank Doug, a.k.a. the Crazy Cajun, because he's been taking some of this stuff and he's been working on it in his spare time. uh, And he's really been helping me out with with a lot of that. So uh, once again, uh, Doug, thank you so very much. I greatly appreciate the efforts. And the new Biden bit uh, under uh, under Big Girls Don't Cry, I heard that for the first time today. It's like immediately that one's going into the rotation. I may play that one twice an episode, at least for the next little bit. It's just too freaking good. All right. So you've outdone yourself, my friend. Now, if you are hearing today's broadcast but did not hear the first hour, should you be listening uh, via terrestrial radio again? You know, great stations across the country uh, like KYAH, 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority whom I always mention because they are the flagship of the terrestrial radio aspect. If you missed the first hour of today's broadcast, you didn't get to hear that, then uh, we talked about Biden's DOJ creating a new team focusing on domestic terrorism. And then we also talked about the FBI refusing to answer questions in regards to whether or not FBI agents or informants were involved with facilitating violence in the January 6th events in D.C. So those two stories work very well together, and it certainly uh, explains why people like myself would be very concerned, very concerned indeed, about why we should let these people be the ones investigating terrorists when they in fact may actually be the terrorists that they're supposed to be trying to stop. Uh, please, if you did miss it, take the time, go back and uh, give it a listen. I, I think you'll find it worthwhile, especially if you enjoy this show enough to to be listening to me now. Going to change topics, though. We're going uh, back into the culture war. Uh, as uh, USA Today did something that I find very disturbing, very disgusting, but not at all surprising. I'm far from the only one, so I don't want to sound like I'm trying to blow my own horn here or try to sound like I am the authority. But we have been discussing for some time here how one of the current 
goals that the uh, political left has is the normalization of pedophilia. We've been seeing this effort for some time now. Everything ranging from TED Talks to uh, changing of definitions in the uh, psychiatrist uh, handbook. I forget the official name of it right off, but, uh, you know, the ones where they actually go through and write up uh, all the uh, officially recognized mental disorders. Uh, you know, they, they've been making changes and they've been trying to soften this idea. They've been trying to, to peddle the notion that pedophilia is just another preference. It's just another sexual identity. And that it's just, it's just different than the standard cisgendered behaviors. That doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make it bad. Only except, yeah, yeah, it kind of is. When you are focused on children, when you are attracted to children, uh, there is, first of all, something wrong with you emotionally, mentally. You, you need to seek assistance. You need to get some help. If that attraction leads you to acting on it, then you slipped into the world of the criminal. And you are literally on par with the worst forms of criminality that exist. Oh, but Tim, they just are expressing love with a child. No, that is not okay. You know, there's a reason why every state in the country, they may have a different age associated with it, but they have statutory rape laws. You know why? Because children of a certain age are not capable of offering consent. They don't know what they're actually consenting to. They don't understand the effects it's going to have. And now let's take away that consent altogether. Let's put a child that is too young to even understand what consent would be. And let's put that there and then say, well, Tim, they're, they're just uh, expressing uh, love and uh, they're Sexual preference, and they're not hurting anyway. Yes, they are. You show me somebody who's been sexually assaulted, and it is an assault, and they're not traumatized by the event, that they don't have years to try to get back to the semblance of normality, that many folks never actually get there. You show me one person that doesn't fit into that category, and I'll show you somebody that's just really good at faking it. Well, the newest round of this effort, this attempt to normalize, came from the USA Today. One of the nation's most widely circulated newspapers, USA Today, they ran an article this past Monday. An article that presented pedophilia as, quote, among the most misunderstood conditions in American society. They tried to play it down. They tried to play it off like pedophilia is just an inappropriate action. And they literally were promoting the destigmatization. Well, we want to destigmatize the attraction. The attraction of a grown adult to a child. We we shouldn't have a stigma on that. Really, USA Today? Really? The article literally opens up by saying, quote, pedophilia is viewed as among the most horrifying social ills. 
but scientists who study the sexual disorder say it is also among the most misunderstood. K, what's to understand? I mean, seriously, what what is so hard? How is it misunderstood? I'm sure that we're about to be informed. And and as I said, you know, uh, the opening line says, scientists who study the disorder, so see, they, they use the framing disorder. So in other words, they're sick, so it's not their fault. But they're not really sick because at the same time, they're trying to make this case that, well, it's normal. It happens in nature. You know what else is all natural? Botulism. Let me know how turning botulism loose on you works out for you. 100% organic, too, by the way. Quoting from the article again, researchers who study pedophilia say the term describes an attraction, not an action. And using it interchangeably with abuse fuels misperceptions about pedophiles. I'm going to say wrong. Quit trying to change the language again. Wrong. There is a difference between pedophilic thinking and pedophilic action. I'll give you that. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've already acknowledged the difference a little earlier. But uh, if you actually act on the attraction, then you have committed an abuse on a child. So using the term interchangeably with abuse isn't fueling misperceptions. It's an accurate description. And in fact, it's it's kind of a diplomatic one. It's kind of... Uh, whitewashing the true despicability, which is completely, totally a real world I did not just make up. So what are these misconceptions about pedophiles? Well, one of the experts compares pedophilia to any unguarded sexual impulse upon which society would frown. And Salter... A psychologist says she begins her sessions by asking how many of you have ever had an inappropriate sexual thought. Okay. I suppose we need to settle on the definition of inappropriate, but I think most of us have had inappropriate sexual thoughts. Uh, How many of us have had them involving children? I think that number probably changes. Especially the older we get. The further away from being a child ourselves. I mean, if I'm 17 and I'm thinking about a 16-year-old, okay, technically, eh, also technically still within a couple of years, probably doesn't seem the same. I'm thinking most people would recognize that. Should an 18-year-old go to jail for having sex with a 16-year-old? Generally speaking, I think there's some room for discussion because of how close together the ages are. But if the law says statutory, then the answer is yes. Sorry, boys and girls. 
you probably shouldn't be engaging in sexual activity anyway. But just the thought, just the thought. They want to try and tell you, clearly you have to have the thought before you're going to act on the thought. But I don't think very many people actually refer to someone as being a pedophile if they've never acted on it. Now, understand, looking up certain pornographic material, I think, is in fact acting on it. It's just, thankfully, not to the same degree that a lot of us naturally think initially. But to ask how many of you have ever had an inappropriate sexual thought, that to me sounds like you're setting up a straw man uh, argument, doesn't it? Now, the article then favorably quotes uh, Alan Walker, formerly of Old Dominion University, who promoted destigmatizing pedophilia and calling pedophiles minor attracted persons. Walker, a transgendered individual who uses the pronouns they, them, said that the stigma against sexual attraction to minors can actually lead to harm against children. Really? How? How? How, how does the stigma of minor attracted individuals. And in case you need to go back into the archives, we did talk about uh, this Alan Walker. Alan spelled A-L-L-Y-N, Alan. We did talk about this discussion. We did talk about specifically the effort to change the PC reference to pedophiles as minor attracted persons. So this has been a little while back. But the stigma against sexual attraction to minors can lead to harm against children? I get it. No. No, the stigma is there to discourage adults who may actually have this attraction in their minds from acting upon said attraction. That doesn't harm the child. If the child becomes a victim of the pedophile and that stigma is placed on them, well, then that's people being dumb because the kid was a victim, even if the kid doesn't realize it. The kid's a victim. The stigma of the pedophilic action is not on them. They were the victim. Of course, I'm sure some leftists would argue differently. Now, the USA Today, a.k.a. a newspaper, they opened a lengthy thread on Twitter by stating, quote, we think we know what a pedophile is. There's a lot we're misunderstanding. Uh, I, I don't think so. Pretty sure we do know what a pedophile is. Pretty sure most of us understand it pretty well. But hey, thank you, USA Today, for attempting to muddy the waters. Thank you, USA Today, for, again, instead of engaging in journalism, engaging in social engineering. Because, you know, that's what media is for now, right? When was the last time media was actually for journalism? I mean, I know that's a ridiculous question for me to ask because here I am. I'm a commentator. I'm just discussing my thoughts and opinions on stories that are being reported by others. Just comment, my commentary, my two cents worth, for better or for worse, 
Take it with a grain of salt. Agree with me if you want. Disagree if you want. As far as I'm concerned, we can still part company and be friends. Now, if you feel differently, uh, sorry for you. But I don't think there's much room for misunderstanding what a pedophile is. Back to quoting here, uh, when most of the public thinks of pedophilia, they assume it's synonymous with child sexual abuse, mostly because it is. A pedophile is an adult who is sexually attracted to children, but not all pedophiles abuse kids. And some people who sexually abuse kids are not pedophiles. Yeah, that's some Class A top-notch reporting. USA Today. I mean, you're trying to split hairs and you're trying to make a different case, but ultimately you're not really doing a very good job because not all pedophiles abuse kids. Okay, then you're not a pedophile. You just have pedophilic tendencies. But, you know, they're trying to change the language, right? Because they think that helps support the case. They think if they can control the language, they can eventually win the argument. And why not? It's, at least they think, it's worked for them before. Now, according to the National Center for the Victims of Crime, roughly 20% of all girls and 5% of all boys experience childhood sexual abuse. What has become of our country? Uh, these, these are not new instances, but to think that the numbers get as high as 20% of all girls, that's heartbreaking. That, that's the kind of thing that if I didn't have faith in a higher power, I would be devastated to think that 20%, 20 out of every 100 girls that I see have already been a victim. The newspaper, of course, deleted the Twitter thread. Uh, the paper uh, wrote, quote, The initial thread lacked the context that was within the story, and we made the decision to pull down the entire thread. Bottom line is they had way too many people push back, and they were like, uh, This isn't going so good. Get it down. Get it down. However, the Internet, my friends, the internet is forever. You can try to delete it, but uh, it's there. In fact, that's exactly the sentiment that Donald Trump Jr. Uh, said when he posted. Uh, said that the internet is forever, a-holes, only he used the full language. Good try to delete, though. USA Today tries to understand pedophiles, in all caps. To me... And probably anyone who's been watching, this is nothing more than the first step of trying to normalize this kind of behavior. Well, actually, uh, I hate to bring it to you, Don Jr., but uh, this is not the first step. This has been going on for a while. This has been going on for a while. At any rate, the article, which appeared in USA Today's health and wellness section, triggered a... Uh, well, quite the response from a lot of readers who were, well, we'll diplomatically say that they were bewildered. One reader asked, did your editor approve of you writing this, or did you just kind of slip this article in? 
Social scientists say the effort to erode the social taboo around pedophilia has been underway for years. See, that sounds like something I've been saying. According to here, I do not misunderstand pedophilia at all. This coming from a former Yale economics professor who founded the pro-family Ruth Institute. In order to eliminate traditional sexual morals, the sexual revolutionaries had to redefine childhood. Instead of children being dependent on their parents, parents became the oppressors of children's sexual liberation. Instead of being innocent, children became sexual beings. In this way, pedophilia has been baked into the sexual revolution from the beginning. The world's most notorious pedophile, Jeffrey Epstein, who totally did not hang himself, uh, took a similar tack in presenting sexual attraction to minors with same-sex attraction. Epstein uh, said that criminalizing sex with teenage girls is a cultural aberration, and that at times in history it was perfectly acceptable. He pointed out that homosexuality had long been considered a crime and was still punishable by death in some parts of the world. And you see, that's part of the defense too, isn't it? It's part of the efforts. They want to look at all these things that are different and try to make them be the same because... Nobody right now is going to sit here and say, well, yeah, it should be illegal to be gay. I mean, some people might actually still be thinking it. I'm sure there are. But you don't run into too many people willing to say it out loud. Now, I myself, I find that thought process appalling. I, I think ultimately who you are is who you are. Be you. I am not a hater, despite how many times I'm accused of it. In fact, I heard some really nasty stuff the other day that I've grown a rather thick skin. But I actually ended up hearing on a local uh, radio station, somebody who's been listening to this show, referenced me specifically, called me out by name, and said some of the just craziest, most hateful things about me uh, to the point that they had to be bleeped out for part of it. And I'm thinking to myself, they were talking about one of my more recent episodes where I was just just talking about the uh, the way Dr. Fauci was now trying to cover that, yes, in fact, there is a difference between children in the hospital because of COVID and children in the hospital with COVID. Called me out by name. So, so at least... A, uh, know that they at least heard the show one time, so I guess yay me, sort of, there. But, you know, I, I have direct interactions online with a group of individuals that, you know, some of them are very supportive, and then some of them are constantly trying to tear me down. But it's almost become a game with them, so I'm very desensitized. So every now and then, when I hear somebody new going on about it, it's kind of like, well, where is that even coming from? Because some of these things were so vile that these folks that just try to troll me don't take that tack. I have no doubt in my mind that those folks would agree that pedophilia is not a misunderstood 
sexual preference. That it's not just taboo because somebody made a social decision for it to be. And it's certainly not okay to compare pedophilic behavior with homosexual behavior. They are not anywhere near the same thing. Not even close, not even a little bit, no. The only thing they have in common is that sex is involved at some point. Doesn't make it a good thing. I really don't know where these folks are at. Their heads are just, you know, they're just not attached. All right, going to have to take the mid-hour break because, strangely enough, we've already, uh, we've already gotten to that point. So you guys stay right where you're at. I'll be back right after this. This is Tim Tapp, host of Tap Into The Truth. In the topsy-turvy world of men who desire to be a female but get offended of being called mom, it's an indication of the desperate need to hurry up and save our republic. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, in wacky leftist Los Angeles, 37-year-old Bennett Casper decided he's a transgender via the marvels of modern medical practices and also gave birth to a son via C-section. Trans Casper became incensed when the hospital staff called him a mom and insisted that everyone call him dad. The staff was understandably confused because aren't men who seek to become a female usually referred to with female names? As if that isn't confusing enough, I wonder how mixed up will the child be growing up in such unnatural madness? <laughs> Mr. Bennett and others like him are, in my opinion, reasons to be very concerned about a society such as ours that is somehow convinced some males that it would be better to transition to anything other than what God created him to be. Wake up, America, and stand up against evil before it crushes you like a bug. I'm Ron Edwards. For Constitutional Grounds Coffee, the one you want in your cup, go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Our Constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. We the people are free. Just a song before I go To whom it may concern It's easy to get burned Men and women created by go. You know the you know the thing. Lion, dog face, pony shoulder. I got hairy legs. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. 
They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. What in the hell's diversity? <clears throat> well, I, I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era. Gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break, uh, having a little fun with the Let's Go Brandon bit, as well as the new liner that uh, that crazy Cajun put together for me with some of the better-known, barely-there Beijing Biden quotes. Uh, just fantastic stuff. Great stuff. I uh, want to give a shout-out, of course, to uh, my friends that are also in the business, Ron Edwards, Andy Bellis, Don Smith. Uh, all the folks over at Global Patriot Radio Network, uh, Rod Eccles, uh, I usually tend to forget him, Suzette of Suzette Live, uh, over at the Ideas or Bulletproof Network, you can find her, her over at Spreaker, uh, lots of great folks that I, I never get the entire list, I can't think of the list, and even if I have it written down here, I'm never going to get there, but a lot of great folks, and if you're not already listening to them, uh, take a little time, track them down, give them a listen. Uh, if you like what I'm doing, chances are you're going to love what they're doing. Uh, meanwhile, want to mention uh, the fact that uh, if you're going to Washington, D.C. anytime soon, then you're going to need a photo ID. Uh, new law going into effect, and we're going to talk about that next, requires a photo ID so that you can prove you are the person whose vaccination card you're showing in order to get in. It's all part of the required vaccination card. So if you don't already have a photo ID, maybe, just maybe, you might want to step up and uh, spiff up a bit. Get you some formal wear. And one of the best places to get some formal wear is over at Fine Tuxedos. Yeah, that's right. I'm trying to sell you something again. Sorry about that. But hey, i got to pay for this somehow. Uh, the show does do a good job of uh, being self-reliant, uh, but I need more if I'm going to elevate the show. And as you can tell, at least I hope you can tell, we're trying to elevate things, trying to get things better. And again, thanks to uh, Doug, uh, a.k.a. Crazy Cajun, for going uh, above and beyond trying to help out with that specific plan. He's done a phenomenal job. Uh, thank you once again, Doug. But with all that having been said... Fine Tuxedos is a great place to go because over there, you literally can buy brand name tuxedos and accessories for, in many cases, less than what it would cost to rent it. And if you can get your own attire, your own formal wear, why wouldn't you? Spring is coming very quickly. I've already made this point. It's the dead of winter. And right now, uh, before Christmas, most of us had seen unusually warm temperatures. Uh, most of us in the country. Uh, there were parts where exceptions. So if you're listening somewhere where that wasn't the case, uh, understand a lot of the rest of us uh, were having much warmer weather. Uh, in fact, here in Tennessee, we got above 70. One day, uh, Dagnair got to 80. 
uh, going into it before we started feeling the full effects of winter. But now pretty much everybody's got a hard bite of winter going on. But the funny thing is, now is the time to get ready for spring. So if you've got a spring wedding upcoming, if you want to go to a Valentine's dance that's formal, whatever your reason or rationale, uh, check out Fine Tuxedos. Uh, again, if you're listening at the podcast, down in the show description, you'll see a link. So by now, you know the routine. I've said it several times. But just in case you're new, just in case you're listening uh, for the first time and you're thinking, gee, Tim, you're talking about these fine tuxedo people. How do I get there? Well, if you're at the podcast, go to the show description down there. You will see links associated with both the aforementioned My Patriot Supply from back in the first hour and a link for fine tuxedos here in the second hour. Uh, copy the entire link, paste that in your web browser, and it will take you to their website. And by utilizing that link, they'll know I'm the one that sent you. So if you decide to make a purchase while you're there, hey, great. But even if you're just checking them out, just looking around, use the link. They'll know that I'm generating traffic to their site. And that could eventually lead to me saying, hey, guys, by the way, why don't you, instead of this affiliate business, why don't you become a sponsor of the show? And let's do a formal ad kind of thing. That would be phenomenal because that, again, would help me to elevate the quality of the show yet further. Granted, I know, it's still limited based on the host. But still, if we can make the rest of the stuff work better, wouldn't you want that? Especially if you like the show well enough as it is. All right. With that having been said, if you're listening via terrestrial radio so that the show description isn't available... You also have another option. You can visit me over at the website for the show. That's tapintothetruth.com, T-A-P-P, into the truth, all one word, dot com. And uh, there, you will you don't have to go any further than the homepage. Just kind of scroll down a little bit, and you will see ads and banners for all the folks that I currently have an association with, from audiobooks to uh, author services to uh, Hero Soap and... Uh, Fire and Flavor and uh, Blue Coolers, all these great folks. Uh, th and they are all great, uh, great companies. But you'll see banners and uh, ads there that all you'll have to do is click and it will take you to their website and do the exact same thing. It will let them know that I'm the one that sent you and it will help support the show. So being a affiliate... Uh, it just means I get a small commission off of whatever sells. So uh, check them out. Get something you really want anyway. And uh, you know, support the show in the process. It's a win-win for everybody. And beyond that, if you want more details about what they're doing, go visit. Go see. Go check them out. They can do a much better job telling you about them and what they've got going on than I can anyway. I can't hardly keep up with all the sales as they pop up and they're doing something new. So, you know. If you're looking for formal wear, for whatever reason, it's not too early to start looking. Just go check it out. Jeez, how hard is that? And like I said, you might want to uh, spiffy up just a bit for that brand new photo ID. Because like I said, starting this coming Saturday, you're going to have to have that photo ID to enter just about any business in Washington, D.C. Now, somehow... Somehow the left wants you and me and everybody else on the planet to believe that it is hardcore racist to ask for a photo identification if you're going to vote. 
Oh, but it's not discriminatory in any way at all to ask for a photo ID in order to enter a restaurant or a bar or a movie theater. Or, dare I say, if they've been nice enough to let the gyms open up, well, then you better have that photo ID ready there as well. And, and all in the name of COVID-19 safety. On this upcoming Saturday, Democratic Mayor Muriel, Muriel Bowser, her vaccine mandate is set to go into effect. This ma vaccine mandate, it requires nearly every business and entertainment venue located in the nation's capital to verify that patrons are vaccinated against COVID-19 with at least one shot. As part of that mandate for patrons over the age of 18, customers will have to show photo ID as proof that their name matches the vaccination card that they present for entry. Now, despite all that, the district itself does not require photo identification for most voters, with just two exceptions, of course. Now, been previously reported that Bowser announced this new vaccine mandate back in late December. She announced it then to supposedly help fight the surging coronavirus cases. So starting January 15th, that order will now be enforced. Dozens of establishments like cafes, nightclubs, hotel common rooms, bowling alleys, concert halls, uh, many, many more. Uh, they'll now be required to hang a poster in the storefront window notifying, quote, vaccination required. Attention, per Mayor's Order 2021-48, COVID-19 vaccination is required to enter this business. Now, the sign reads before noting that customers age 12 and up must show proof of vaccination, such as an official completed CDC vaccination card. Those over the age of 18 must also show a photo ID. According to the D.C. government website, adults can show official identification cards, such as a photo of state-issued driver's licenses or limited-purpose driver's licenses, any other state-issued identification card, passport, DC-1 card, or a student ID. In the past, I mean, just eons and eons ago, in the far-off past, Democratic Party leaders and others, media types in particular, they, they've suggested... They've hinted, they've, they've kind of insinuated that requiring ID to vote is the same thing as having new Jim Crow laws. You know, because they argue black Americans are less likely to have voter ID than their white counterparts. Understanding that voter ID is generally the same thing as all these... Uh, these other things that uh, D.C. is asking for, you know, like driver's licenses or limited purpose driver's licenses or passports and 
DC1 cards or student IDs, all of those would count in every state that requires a photo ID for voting. But because only white people can easily get a photo ID. So under the same logic for fighting against voter ID laws, should we now assume that D.C. is enacting racist behavior because they don't want black people going into any of these businesses? Is that the message we should be getting? Because if they honestly believe this about voting, doesn't that mean they honestly believe it, period? I'm just, just asking for a friend. Okay, so here we are. This past summer, barely there, Beijing, handsy, feely, grabby Uncle Joe Biden. He criticized Georgia for enacting a new voting law that included a voter ID requirement to cast a ballot. Biden literally called that law Jim Crow in the 21st century. Biden was today, again, time of the live broadcast being uh, January 11th, 2022, was literally in Georgia today, kicking off the Democrats' big push to try and federalize elections and to try to undo the uh, filibuster so that they can. They went to Georgia because Georgia seems to be the, uh, the heartbeat of the Democrats' fight against all these actual attempts by states to, uh, you know, create voter integrity. So Biden said that the Georgia law is Jim Crow in the 21st century. Uh, quoting here, instead of celebrating the rights of all Georgians to vote or winning campaigns on the merits of their ideas, Republicans in the state instead rushed through an un-American law to deny people the right to vote. He added, quote, this law, like so many others being pursued by Republicans in state houses across the country is a blatant attack on the Constitution and good conscience. Uh, how exactly? I, I mean, I know those are fierce, ferocious sounding words that somebody wrote for you so you can say that they're um, Mr. Uh, Biden, sir. But do you understand what they mean? Because suddenly I'm back at the Princess Bride and I'm sitting here in my best Montoya voice. You keep saying this word. I, I do not think it means what you think it means. How is this un-American? To, to try and create a level of integrity in the election? To try and make it harder to cheat? Not harder to vote, harder to cheat... That's un-American? How so? The only people they're denying the right to vote are the people who shouldn't be voting. You know, like Superman and Mickey Mouse and Mighty Mouse and my, my great-great-uncle Jeb, who's been dead for almost a century now. None of these people. Granted, a lot of politicians in Chicago would never get elected without the dead showing up at the polls. Still, they shouldn't be voting anymore. To sit here and say that this is an attack on the Constitution? How? When? Where? Explain it. 
According to the left-wing American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, quote, minority voters disproportionately lack ID. Why? Why do they lack ID? I, again, how, how did you come up with this statistic? Because I'm kind of doubting that's the case. You don't get to do very many things in our society today without a bloody ID. But oh wait, the ACLU is not done. They say that nationally up to 25%, up to 25% of African-American citizens of voting age lack government-issued photo ID compared to only 8% of whites. And again, how are they compiling this data? How are they compiling this? I mean, this is not enough to just throw out a stat. These stats may be legitimate based on the questionnaire they filled out, but I want to know how scientific this poll was. I want to know how they're counting. Because, again, I have a hard time believing that up to 25% of any group in this country that's voting age doesn't have a photo ID of some sort. I, I understand in some of the more urban cities that there may be a lot of people that don't have a driver's license because there's a lot of folks not driving. They don't need to. They use public transit. They get an Uber, take a cab, whatever. But you're not a student either. You don't have a student ID. Don't have a library card. Don't have a passport. Okay, some of those things you may not have. But excuse me, how is it that you're opening a bank account? Oh, wait, you don't have a bank account either? What do you do? Using a check cashing uh, location? I mean, how are you surviving? Do you, uh, do you get yourself a cell phone? You don't have an ID? Hell, half of the social media platforms, uh, if you want to get verified, now require a photo ID. I know when I got on the Cloud Hub, in order to get the checkmark verification that I wanted to get, I had to submit one. I'm like, uh, okay, fine. <laughs> But really, up to 25%, I, I, I really, I doubt that number. But even if it's true, I don't think it's because they're black. I think it's because there's other factors involving things like where they're living at and the convenience or lack of convenience. But it's not supposed to be convenient to vote. See, that's where we lose the argument, right? I make the point that voting should require some effort on your part. And suddenly, I'm the bad guy. Most states have minimal requirements. Most counties do not purge their rolls quickly enough. That allows more room for fraud. Now, uh, Tom, clearly uh, the statistics have been pretty clear. Uh, the fraud is, uh, of course, there's some that occurs, but it's, it's such a small amount. It's statistically uh, insignificant. It doesn't affect outcomes. I'm sorry, but if one person cheats, that affects the outcome. If one illicit vote votes in a way different than I voted when I'm a legitimate voter, then my vote just got canceled out. So you are changing outcomes. You are affecting outcomes, and you can't tell me that that's just not significant. You count out my vote, you better dang sure be a legitimate voter. I can live with that. If you're committing fraud and you're counting out my vote, you and I, we got a problem. And that's how it should be. And it doesn't matter if you're a Republican, a Democrat, a libertarian, member of the Green Party, 
are flat-out communists, if you're in this country and you're talking about elections, you should care about voter fraud and you should hope to eliminate it, not find creative ways to use it to help your side. It's it's funny, though, because despite all of this argument, seems like Democratic politicians in various parts of the country, seems like they don't have any problem at all requiring a photo ID to, you know, just participate in daily life. Well, you must show us who you are in order to walk into that restaurant. Really? Is that what the restaurant wants? The restaurant just wants your money. They don't care. Okay, then why are they asking me for that? Because we told them they must. You? You said that? I'm your mayor. Do as you're told. Nah, mayor, that ain't how this plays. You work for me. You ain't going to tell me what to do when you don't have any scientific grounds to make that request. And I'm going to be polite and call it a request. Because if I was to say it's a demand on your part, which clearly you're trying to make it be, I would tell you that I'm demanding that you are not our mayor come next term. And you might be surprised how many people agree with that. So here you are. Doesn't matter who you are. There you are. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, once and for all, for all the ball of wax, it's racist to ask for photo ID to vote. But, uh, you know, it's just public safety to ask for photo ID if you're going to, to go to the gym, go to a restaurant, go to just about any business. You want to go to a concert? Oh, better have a photo ID. You want to go to the pizzeria after? Uh, you better still have that photo You better not lose that photo ID. Oh, no, you lost your uh, your COVID card? Well, you, we can't let you in on the technicality there either. What is the end? What is the limit? Is there a limit to the level of hypocrisy these people have? Clearly, once again, though, we see uh, a few trends in play. A politician that wants to overreach and become authoritarian just so happens to have a D at the end of their name. And yet they want to say it is people like me that is the true authoritarian threat. Um, I'm going to call bovine excrement, and I think we're going to have to move on from there. And, in fact, that's going to have to be it for tonight. Thank you so very much for being here and listening. Uh, as always, ladies and gentlemen, please don't take my word for it, not for any little bit of it, but please, please don't take their word for it either. Be prepared to put in some effort, do your own research, and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, guys, do your best to stay safe out there. Not an easy task, especially with Democrats doing the Nobel thing. It is very hard to stay safe right now. Try to stay healthy. Again, kind of tough to do, but uh, I have faith in you. Stay healthy if you can. And, uh, you know, uh, try to be smart, even if it goes against your nature. Uh, I'll be back again soon, and hopefully we'll start getting some guests back on with me soon. In the meanwhile, uh, I'm out.